United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says the U.S. is softening its position on Israeli settlements in the occupied West Bank. The uh, secretary noting in comments this week that the uh, U.S. 78 sta- 1978 State Department decision or the uh, 1978 State Department legal opinion that settlements are inconsistent with international law is something that now the State Department disagrees with. We're not addressing or prejudging the ultimate status of the West Bank. This is for the Israelis and the Palestinians to negotiate. International law does not compel a particular outcome nor create any legal obstacle to a negotiated resolution. So we have that to discuss. Also, the Israelis filing mis- firing missiles into Syria and the news today breaking evidently that there is probably going to be another election in Israel. Let's turn to Lucy Kurtzer, Ellen Bogan, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the United States Institute of Peace, tweeting at USIP. Lucy, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you very much, Tim. First, explain to people the significance of the change in policy referencing the the uh, the uh, settlements uh, that the Secretary of State was talking about the other day. Uh, sure. Well, it's significant on a number of levels. On the one hand, let's start with what has not changed in some regard. Uh, as mentioned uh, in your introduction, this was um, a State Department legal advisor memo that was penned in the 1970s under the Carter administration. Uh, since then, subsequently after that administration, President Reagan um, actually rejected that framing of the inconsistency with international law, but did maintain that settlements were an impediment to an obstacle to peace. And since then, we've had successive presidents um, talk about the impediment or the illegitimacy or the obstacles to um, achieving a negotiated settlement that settlements um, uh, pose. So what we saw yesterday um, was a more affirmative articulation by this administration of the fact that they do not consider it inconsistent with international law. And the implications of that are really on a, a fall in about three or four levels. One, it's one more, let's remember, um, action by this administration that has uh, really reversed many long-standing stances the U.S. government has taken towards key issues on this conflict. And in that regard, as we saw from the reaction of the Palestinians yesterday, it's really put itself, um, it's, it's, uh, taken its ability to be accepted by both sides as a credible mediator uh, in this conflict. Um, It's taken that off the table. Uh, It's also put itself out of lockstep with the international consensus um, on this conflict, uh, consensus of which it has been a part uh, until now. We saw condemnations from the European Union, from Russia, uh, from the uh, Arab states uh, on this decision. Um, It's also, while it may not have affected anything immediately on the ground right now, um, it has certainly been seen by um, politicians in Israel as giving a green light, particularly those politicians uh, who are to the right and would like to see an annexationist policy, uh, annexing parts of the West Bank. Um, By those politicians, it's been seen as a green light to pursue that. We're going to get to the elections in a moment, I realize, but certainly Netanyahu, if he manages uh, to emerge victorious, um, which is a big question. Um, but if he manages to emerge victorious, he said that first on his agenda uh, will be to move ahead uh, with annexing uh, the Jordan Valley, which is part of the West Bank. 
So bottom line, is it too much to say that with the United States somewhat removed from the negotiations that an actual peace uh, to be reached, a peace agreement is, is even further away now as a result of these changes that the United States has instituted? Uh, it certainly makes it much harder. But as mentioned, remember, we must remember this comes after um, a line of, of, of different actions in this regard, the moving of the embassy, uh, the closing of the Palestinian representative office, the defunding of the UN agency that, um, uh, that uh, has responsibility for Palestinian refugees, recognition of um, um, uh, uh, Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. So this really comes after a long string of events which has made the possibility um, of uh, bringing the parties back to the table for a negotiated agreement extremely hard to imagine at this point. I want to get to the election in a moment, but I did want to ask, ask also just on the, the movement of the embassy to Jerusalem, there was a sense that that was going to be followed by a lot of protesting and some, some well, some pretty bad reaction. It, it does seem that there was some reaction, but it seems to have disappeared rather rapidly, uh, which, which goes in the face of what conventional wisdom was about this kind of a decision to be made, because that's one of the cautionary tales from previous administrations. Don't do that. Certainly, and I, I think what you did see, one of the consequences of the um, the rhetoric around the potential for those moves that let's not do this because it might result in waves of violence, the fact that you did not see the huge conflagration of violence that some predicted, I think, uh, has sent the message in some quarters that that is not something to be concerned about. Um, and that the conventional wisdom, as it were, around that was proven wrong. I would say a couple of things on that point. One, as we saw last week when it came to Gaza, as we're seeing today um, with the activity between Israel and Israel strikes into Syria, targeting uh, arena military targets, um, this is a fragile and volatile region, and one can never take for granted um, you know, uh, when violence may or may not erupt. And in the context of border violence, even that may have nothing to do uh, immediately with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict per se, um, in a fragile environment like that, um, you know, you never know when, when border reactions can occur. But beyond that, I, I think that it's, it's not really about the violence here. The question becomes in the long term um, how all these moves uh, get us further towards a sustainable resolution to the conflict. And in the absence of finding a sustainable path forward to this conflict, um, I think we do have to think about the consequences, including violence, further down the road. Again, Lucy Kurtzer, Ellen Bogan with us, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the United States Institute of Peace. As we had mentioned at the beginning, a September election left both Prime Minister Netanyahu and Benny Gantz short of securing the parliamentary majority. But now it looks like they can't even come up with a coalition. Uh, Avigdor Lieberman saying, well, it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So a new election might be following. And in addition to that today, we have the attacks by the Israelis on in Iranian positions, they say, inside Syria. Let's talk about the election first. What does this mean? Is, is there going to have to be another election? Uh, it certainly looks that way. In my understanding, and, and frankly, the way this has gone through, we know there's been a breaking announcement while we're talking that leads us in a different direction. But I think as of about 45 minutes ago, um, one of the pieces that people were waiting for to see where this might turn is what Avigdor Lieberman, uh, who's basically seen in the role of kingmaker um, in this election, he came out and, and um, 
and said he would not join um, any sort of minority government. And since the only other alternative was a unity government, which talks over which between Gantz and Netanyahu up to the 11th hour last night seem to have not succeeded in that regard. So putting all these together, it does look, in fact, like Israel might be heading to a third election. And we were already in uncharted waters here, completely unprecedented territory with Israel having two elections uh, within a year. I will recall that Netanyahu encountered a narrow win back in April, but was unable to form a coalition, uh, took the country into second elections, was not able to form a coalition. The mandate was handed to his rival, Benny Gantz, who has until midnight tonight, uh, Israel time, to form a coalition. Um, And that doesn't look like that possibility uh, is going anywhere. So uh, there's now about a three-week period, I think, that kicks in, if that doesn't happen, where any member of Knesset can try to get the support of a majority member of the parliament um, to form a government. And if that falls apart, um, which I, I think it looks likely it might if it moves to that, uh, though, of course, one never knows. We are, we are looking like we're heading to a third election. One never knows, as you say. And on this attack on Syria, uh, is Iranian positions or Iranian resources, I guess, if you will, assets mm-hmm. in Syria, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think this gets back to, as mentioned before, the, the fragility um, of the situation, the volatile uh, uh, neighborhood that it is. Um, th- this really continues a pattern. What you saw today, it's certainly ratcheted up. Um, but you've seen over a number um, of months this pattern of Israel really drawing a red line um, on the ability of Iran to build up a military presence in Syria. And the closer it feels like it might be getting to uh, the Israeli border, uh, the more Israel has been insisting on pushing back on any uh, um, attempt for Iran to establish that foothold. What you've seen in recent months is Iran hitting back where it can. There were Iran sent over missiles that were intercepted, rockets that were intercepted uh, yesterday, I believe, in the last 24 hours. And what you've just seen um, was an Israel, Israeli retaliation uh, for that. Um, and so, uh, you know, what I would say is particularly in the context of the uncertain Israeli political environment, um, what you're seeing here is, 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 um, is the kind of atmosphere that does drive Israelis' uh, security concerns. They're looking around, they're seeing violence flare up as we did last week on the border with Gaza. You're seeing it uh, flare up now on the eastern border uh, with Syria. There's concerns about the northern border with another Iranian proxy, Hezbollah. So this is the tenuous security environment we're in. And just to tie this back a little bit to the political environment and the conversation about elections, um, uh, what we've seen here is actually very little distinction uh, in the security-related positions of the two primary candidates for leadership right now, Netanyahu um, and Benny Gantz, you very much see when it comes to these security issues, you see a sort of consensus um, opinion. Uh, so this is not just seen uh, as something that Benjamin Netanyahu is undertaking for political benefit. This is something that would probably get the approval of both sides in this issue. Uh, this particular situation uh, would 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 very likely get the approval and does get the approval of both sides uh, okay. in this issue. That was going to be my my question, and I'm glad you you got to it. Lucy, thank you for joining us so much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
Lucy Kurtzer, Eldon Bogan, director of the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict Program at the United States Institute of Peace and Breaking News out of Israel this morning. And obviously, it's an important ally of the U.S. and the region, the important ally of the U.S. and the region, and tweeting at USIP. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.